Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Let's again remember, and we'll just read these first seven verses, we'll bring these into a conclusion um, today. John 14, 1 7, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going or how can we know the way? Jesus said, and this is this verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You would have known my father also and from now on you know him and have seen him. The disciples, as we know, are troubled by many things, but the events of Judas, they're in the upper room. Uh, This would be known as the farewell discourse, which we know as the farewell speech. Uh, R.C. Sproul, I heard called it the other day, he called it when I was listening, he, he called it the upper room discourse rather than the farewell discourse and Uh, here the disciples are in the upper room they're very perplexed they're confused Um, Judas is left then Jesus says I'm departing and there's confusion and there's fear and we spoke at length last week about not allowing our hearts to be troubled Uh, and the only way that we can not allow our hearts to be troubled is to look to God and keep our eyes focused in Christ completely otherwise your mind will run riot. Uh, You'll become frightened and confused and as the disciples were. And then it gets to verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When I first got sober, uh, I thought I had a relationship with God. I got sober as an alcoholic 20, 22 years ago nearly. It's a long time. Uh, 22 year and I went to Alcoholics Anonymous and I thought I had a relationship with God and I did sort of a the God in my own understanding as you're taught in these environments these self-help these kind of recovery program environments uh, but I had a relationship with God sort of as my, my understanding but no Jesus that was how I seen it however my relationship with God was my way It was totally my way, no his way. It was my terms, my ideas, my hopes, my desires. All the things guided the show, of course. That way was dressed up as God guiding me because I prayed superficial prayers. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. That was this. That's the end prayer in Alcoholics Anonymous. Every week you would say, oh, that was my prayer. And it's dressed up as God guiding me because I prayed superficial prayers and more than that, I had my programme. I worked my programme. And if any of you know me, you know that anything I get into, I just become like Caddyshack. Right, so, you know, if I take up golf, you're going to see me the next week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
I was going to, I end up using the old fashioned names, you know what I mean? Cutting about like Arnold Palmer and somebody's like, who? Cutting about like, like, Seve Ballesteros, the border, cutting about like Tiger Woods. It's anything I've joined, I've, I've always flung myself into. So I become AA and I become Mr. AA in my own head. I went to seven meetings a week, sometimes two a week, just because I wanted to speak right enough. Um, and I get embroiled in the 12-step recovery programme. That was a thing. I became Mr. Programme. They were a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's like the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I devoured that a million times. I remember I was sober three months and I went to Italy on holiday. Three, four months I'm sober. and a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I took the cover off it. No, no I kept the cover on it because it says Alcoholics Anonymous on it and you could see it for the moon. Okay? So I've got the book and I'm lying on the beach like that. I'm dying for folk to know that I'm an alky. Dying. So I can have a conversation, all things Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm sitting like with a book. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm sitting with a book like that. Could not wait. Used to be when I was in the building trade, so I'd go and chop doors, I would be, eh, uh, I wouldn't go and chop doors, I'm talking about if I'm doing a job. So I'd maybe go and see a bit of roof leak or something like that, and I'd chop the door and I'd be like, ah, you got a roof leak? Yeah, if you want to come in. No, the drink for four months. <laughs> what, 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 what? Oh, that's me. Sober now. Aye, right, son, the leak's up there. Aye, that's me now. Recovered alcohol. Couldn't you wait to get into the conversation to tell folk I'm an alky? Desperate to be. Oh, my identity was in that. So I had my programme, and that was all about me as well. Of course, it's packaged in a way that's supposed to lead you to God. But it does not. It does not. It may eventually in some God's sovereign providential way. It does not. It keeps you with a God of your own making. A God who serves you. A God who facilitates your wants and pulls you out of your emotional pain. But make no bone about it. It's your way. It's you as the captain of the ship. How do you know that? And it could be a bold statement. And I'll say this, not, and I mean not one recovered alcoholic or addict who fully, and I mean fully follows Christ, would any longer accept or be around an environment where God of your own understanding would either be accepted, tolerated, willingly celebrated or taught. You could not, a true believer could not stay in that environment. They could visit it, but they could not be in that environment, ever. That would be like a true believer continue going to the mosque every week because they did good coffee. Jesus loving, Jesus submitting, Jesus as Lord, living for Christ alone believers are no any, not one. And if they are, they're knowing it for very long because they'll be ostracised. You'll be up because that's not what it stands for. When I get saved in A, then I stayed in A for a wee while and then we were taking everybody to church. 
<laughs> we took everybody to church. We'd had an AA group. We, we were in a group. Vicky was in the group. She joined it because of my wisdom. Nah, she never. <laughs> she was in the group, so she gets. She was saved. I'm saved. Few others. We ended up in the church in, in an AA group, and there were about fourteen in the group. Thirteen years were Christians. Nobody came to the meeting. They're like, oh no, they're the holy rollers. We don't go there. They talk about Jesus, and you realise that's not what AA's platform is. So. Eventually, you know, you're following Christ and completely. Because Jesus was the way for us, no a way. And therefore, when you're totally sold out in Christ, you can't stay in that environment. You can visit it, you can teach in it, but you cannot, it can't be part of your life ever. And somebody would say, as if they listen to this, go, I'm an A, Martin. I'm... I'd question that. I would question that completely. You might be have people are superficially in church and in Alcoholics Anonymous but, or, or, or a recovery programme or any or whatever it is, but no sold out because it's A-way. And to preach Christ there would go against everything and what it stands for. And that's okay, that's their rules. You, you're not there to argue about that, we're not there to change their rules. That's what it is, so you either join them or leave. It's like people in churches, people stay in their own church for too long, don't you think? Out of loyalty. You ever have conversations with people and they're just going, you know what, I'm just trying to help somebody. You're like, you need to go. You need to leave there. And you need to have the courage and you need to have the brotherly love enough to tell them, you know what, you're hiding. You need to get into a church that's preaching the word. And leave the problems and leave the fixing it to the Lord. So this is my way faith. And my way faith is mixed with my truth. You can't have my way faith. Frank's an Atta song coming on there. I did it my way. I used to love that song. I'm growing not to love it. I did it my way. There you go. There's millions of people know with the Lord today who did it my way. Which comes first, you could ask, you know, what comes first, the way or the truth? Well, they both are and of the same thing. One leads to the other, and one is the other, and they intertwine, as you'll hear as we continue. My way and my truth is the same as Jesus being the way and the truth. They're one and the same. So my truth is my interpretation of truth. So therefore, truth is decided what you want, really. You hear this a lot in psychology and positive thinking. In fact, this is, this is, this is modern psychology, positive thinking, neuro-linguistics programming, all this stuff. And it's this, really. I'll tell you what, he was supposed to have killed them. I think he fed them in speed or something. <laughs> you hear this a lot, psychotrill. You hear this a lot in psychology and positive thinking circles. It's your truth. I remember a guy in AA came to our meeting. We were Christian, but this is coming to the end. And he's like, I always sat and talked about gibberish, about his truth. It's, no, it's your truth. And it's, what, what's that? It's truth because it's yours and you've decided it's truth. This is psychology today. It's been going on for 
ever in church or many, many years. Deism, it goes back to Stoicism, eh, modern pragmatism. It's your truth. Truth is what? Truth is a what? It's your own idea of things. As long as you have enough conviction, it's truth. That's how truth's measured today. Because truth is a what? Remember Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? He never says, who is truth? He says, what is truth? It's your own thought process, your own ideals. The more the conviction grows, the more that truth becomes a reality. And according to self-help teaching, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Providing it's positive. Providing it's positive, it's a good thing. If it's negative, then it's no such a good thing and you need to rid yourself of that lie and have a positive affirmation going on. This is throughout the church today. You take a step away from that way and you make it our way and the truth becomes our truth or it just becomes your interpretation of whatever truth is. Faith is the truth that you're convicted of that produces a positive result. That's how they measure faith today. Faith is the truth you're convicted of that produces a positive result. Nothing to do with Jesus. You go and look at the modern gurus today or the people that step back for church and you look through all their posts and all their different stuff and you will see nothing about Jesus being the way. It's everything about your truth, your positivity becomes the way. It's modern day faith. You create truth and as long as you feel good about it, then it's going to be successful. Really? As long as you feel good about it, it's going to be successful. Because it's not just your way, it's your truth. Before any of us knew Jesus, we had a way. However, that way never led to anything good. Of course, many are still on that road believing it's leading to good. When we were dark, it was in our, in our blindness of our hearts. We thought it was going to lead to good. Or even when you had bad, you just recreated something, bought yourself something, devolves an alcohol or whatever, whatever your flight of fancy was. Proverbs 14, 12, Solomon, the wisest man in all earth says, there is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it's the way of death. Here's Solomon saying the way of destruction and the way of ruin, he's saying. Matthew Henry says, it's the way of ignorance and carelessness, the way of flesh pleasing. He adds this in regards even to believers. External performances and partial reformations, I love that, partial reformations. You know, a believer who's got partial reformations, they believe sort of a bit of the word, but as long as it can adapt to. They don't believe in sola scriptura. It's not that the word is sufficient, it's that it's just helpful. It's not enough, but it is a tool. 
And as he says, external performances and partial reformations. Self-deceivers will prove to be self-destroyers. Self-deceivers will prove to be self-destroyers, end quote. Keelan Dillich put it a better way, I think, brilliantly. Rightness is only present as a phantom. For it arises wholly from a terrible self-deception. The man without regard to God goes astray and follows his own opinions. Therefore, the end result is self-deception and death. End quote. Sobering, don't you think? The moment we step off the narrow path of the way, we start to create truths that will lead to ruin. 100%. What drives that truth, as Matthew Henry puts it, external performances, external things, flesh, fear, pride, insecurity, pain, approval, all these things make us seek our own way. That truth starts always by stepping away from Jesus. But it also means stepping away from believers. Proverbs 18.1 A man who isolates himself seeks his own desires. He rages against all wise judgment. And the NASB it says a man who separates himself. Really it means to separate oneself and Keelan Dillich uh, say this brilliantly. It means to separate oneself from their congregation. Oh, that's, a, that's a game changer, isn't it? It means to start to separate yourself from your body of believers. Again, they say this. One who pushes aside the truth and withdraws and then goes in a direction in the mind towards pleasure. So here in this verse, this very wise proverb, and one I've seen, I've seen this time, in 20 years, I've seen this time and time again. In fact, in almost 20 years, I have never seen this go any other way, but bad, really, when this verse is played out. First, the man who separates himself, he separates himself from the way. He starts to seek his own solutions, his own external solutions. Again, these can intertwine as one and the same. Your way, your truth, his way, his truth. However, when you step out of his way, you'll almost certainly create a new narrative. It might be the reason you're stepping away in the first place. Many will say this, this is, this is, this is what starts to play in people's minds. Well, I'm stepping away from the church, but I'm not stepping away from him. Whoa, that's an, see, when, see when I hear that as a pastor, I'm thinking alarm bells ringing. Problem. I know this may be hard, but I'm sorry, that's not possible. It's not possible to step away. As the scripture says, from the congregation and the church and still be committed seeking God in your own way. It does not happen. It's, it's the enemy tactic to isolate you. 
when that's starting to go on in your life and you're starting to consider those things, be afraid, be concerned, pick up the phone, talk to somebody because you're in trouble. Often the step my way is driven by the already wrestle with the truth. The step my way is the wrestle with the truth. Or the step my way from the way. will always lead to recalibrating truth. A compromised truth in your world. What happens then is, when people hear this, they rage. The flesh starts to wrestle with the truth. Of course, let me put a buffer out here. That wrestle can lead to realignment. But only if isolation stops. If isolation doesn't stop, the realignment usually never comes in. So many people, and it's tough in this season, but so many factors will cause, cause the flesh to wrestle. In this season, flesh will be wrestling. And if your flesh is wrestling in this season, one of the things that you will be contemplating, make no bone about it, is isolation. It comes hand in hand. They're not my words, they're the words of God's holy word. They're the words of Solomon. And the reason you know it's fleshy and a fleshy wrestle is the thought of isolation of separating becomes stronger. If you're thinking isolation, you're thinking of separation and it's getting stronger, there is a, there is a problem because you're just stepping slightly away from the way and you're going to start creating a narrative of your truth it's the main wrestle. It's the biggest danger. It's the greatest chance of caving in. If I had to ask you, that aside, if I had to ask you, any times you've had struggles or real battles or real weakness, and that weakness continues, you've withdrew. You've stepped aside. You've started to create another narrative. You've started to rage against the truth, the real truth. Often the language sounds like, I'm seeking God for guidance. It's the language you'll hear. I'm praying for direction at the moment. I'm just working, this is a classic, I'm just working things out at the moment. Really? I've, I've met countless people that, you know what, I'm just working through a few things and then when I get them sorted, I'm going to come back to the church. Danger. It's dangerous language, that. The first thing you should say to that is, and if, you're, if you hear MD saying that, the first thing you could say is, can we do that together? First thing you should say is, is there any chance we can do that together? No, no, I'm just going to go, I'm, no, I'm, I'm in my own meditation just now, I'm in my own process, I'm, I'm working out. Can we do it together? And if you feel rage flare up or anger or unrest, you really need to know that this verse is starting to be fulfilled and starting to be played out in your life if you don't stop. Isolation, separation leads always to pursuing the flesh and a false truth. 
always a false truth. Maybe a kernel of truth, maybe elements of it, but I'll just keep going and keep going. False truth starts to fight. That false truth in the flesh starts to fight, starts to wrestle, starts to argue with the truth. In every area, somebody tells you the truth, somebody speaks the truth. Your flesh is flaring up. You're finding another way because the narrow path is now becoming scary or frightening or persecution could be there. I heard somebody saying the other day, you ever just hear something that just makes you itch? And the person says this, persecution versus safety. And what they were talking about is, is that they were, they were weighing up the situation we're in today based on the level of persecution versus safety towards the public or their safety. And I'm thinking, where is that in the Bible? Where Paul weighed up, you know what? We're going to weigh up our own safety now before we decide whether we're going to follow the truth. Really? What happens is they, the flesh starts to wrestle and battle in our mind. This is, the, this is where the battle lies. It's in the mind. That's why we've not to conform with the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we can test and approve what God's good and perfect will is. If we don't do that, we don't then test God's good and perfect will. What we start to do is, is we start to rewrite the will. And it becomes painted with a six-inch brush. And there's nothing the enemy wants more than for you to worship alone. Nothing. He wants you to worship alone. He wants you to go alone. Okay, quickly go make the book of Nehemiah, please. The book of Nehemiah. Yeah, I read the book of Nehemiah. is. Astounding. I would say it's the greatest for me. I like to say for me because I heard the teacher saying it was the best. And I'm like, well, it's your favourite. Uh, for me, it's maybe the greatest. It's certainly one of the greatest spiritual leadership books you could ever read. Very pastoral. And its essence is, is all the books you can find out in God's word. Amazing leadership, guidance, wisdom. I'm not going to get into too much detail about it, but Nehemiah, as we know, is, is a prophet of God and he was led by God and instructed by God to, to build God's temple again, if you like, build the church again, which was in ruins after the, the Jews had been in captivity for so long, but yet they're free now, but they've nowhere to worship because everything's in ruin and they're believers, but they've nowhere to go. And Nehemiah's heart was heavy and he was, you know, the, the story with King Nebuchadnezzar and all the stuff and then he leaves and then he goes and he, he builds the temple and he starts building the temple with, with God's people and, it's, and the enemy's raging. Sanballat, Tobiah, the Amorites and the Ashadites and all the people conspired to create confusion amongst God's holy people to stop the work of the temple being built. 
but they they overcame it and they overcame it and they, there were different things happening and fractions and all stuff. But eventually the enemy got to the last ditch saloon. Okay? The last ditch saloon kind of verse chapter six ish in Nehemiah. It's the kind of last throw of the dice to try and get the, the believers to stop worshiping God. And the last throw of the dice was this, get them to isolate themselves and worship alone. Get them to create their own way. I was, I'm way ahead of my notes here. So they built it in the, the final throw of the dice is to worship alone. So they sent a false prophet. His name Geshem. They sent a false prophet to Nehemiah. They'd done all sorts of stuff put rubbish out, created rubbish. Another thing in chapter four, wonderful Nehemiah, it says that we cannot longer build, we are weak because of the amount of rubbish in our life. Oh, yeah, you could put that in a fridge magnet, couldn't you? No, I can't build, well, I can't do it anymore, Pastor Mark. What's the matter? I, can't, I just can't take it anymore. There's just too much rubbish. And it's easy at the beginning when you're building in it. So you start building at the beginning and you've got all the choice bricks. If you've ever built a, a dike, a, a dry stone dike, if you've ever built a dry stone dike, I mark the lot is here. <laughs> oh, I knew you could mention it every other week. Look how bad examples that. A dry stone dike, Ernest is looking good. A, a dry stone dike is a Scottish wall, okay? The Romans brought it in. Look, it doesn't matter. You don't get it. <laughs> a dry stone dike. And you would get all stones and you would all intertwine. It's easy at the beginning. I remember I was working with a bricklayer and we were building a dry stone dike. And he's just a genius. He could just look at the bricks and go, that one, that one, that one. And he could just, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. But see, as the bricks become more scarce, you have to look through the rubble and start to... It's like a journey at times. Is sometimes as you grow, God can be really gracious in the early days. You go, this is a walk in the park. And then as time goes on, you just go like, ah, oh, I can't eat, I can't eat. I don't know what to do next. I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm, I'm struggling. I, I, don't, I, I don't see anything fitting. See? And you have to look a bit more intent. And in that, the enemy conspires to create confusion. And it says that the, st the strength of the labourers, the people of God, are failing. Because all we see is rubbish and no anymore living stones. But anyway, they overcame that and they get to chapter six and the enemy's like, this is not stone. Now the, the, the church is built, the temple is built and the only thing they've got to do is put the doors on the temple. And then, so Geshem is sent, he's like, look, we'll send a false prophet here. And the false prophet goes and says, look, there's an enemy coming out, the enemy's coming here. Let's run and hide. Watch this. So they send the false prophet, Nehemiah 10, 6. I bet you wanted to die Nehemiah now, didn't you? Nehemiah 6, 10 to 13. Afterwards, I came to the house of Shema, the son of Deleah, the son of Methabal, and who was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple. For they are coming to kill you. And indeed at night they will come and kill you. And I said, you ever notice that? See when you're in that turmoil, just, just pause here. You're in that turmoil and that challenge, how we exaggerate. Oh, they're going to kill me. 
So the enemy starts saying, they're going to kill you. And I said, such a man as I flee, Nehemiah says. And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And I perceived that God had not sent him at all. But that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and that way, act that way in sin so that they might have cause and an evil report and that they might reproach me. Okay, let me just explain what's happened here. When all other plans fail, the enemy wanted Nehemiah to shut the doors behind him in the temple and isolate himself. Run into the church, shut the doors behind you and be on your own. Now that's a major problem for two reasons. One, it was going to discourage everybody else to fellowship, to be together, to worship together. They were going to be isolated. It was going to discourage the, 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 the believers because Nehemiah had shut the doors behind them. But there's another point here, which is very important is, Nehemiah was not the priest, the high priest. Ezra was the high priest. And only the high priest was allowed to open the word and preach the word. Nehemiah, in a sense, is a layman. He did not have the authority to open the word, nor the guile to open the word and preach the word to the people. He was not anointed to preach that word. Ezra was. So if he ran and shut the doors, the temple behind him, He's left with nobody preaching the word. He's left on his own. Do you get, do you get where we're going here? It would have defiled the church because Nehemiah is not the high priest in the position to be able to preach that word. So the church would have become corrupt, unclean. So in a... In effect, the church, the enemy saying, if I isolate you, I get you in the church, I shut the doors behind you, we close the church. Hello? I'll become ineffective. I'll become unclean. And the body of believers will no longer meet and that'll be the enemy's plan to thwart. When all else fails, Isolate people's enemies' tactic. Make them go their, their way. Make them go our way. However, because Nehemiah refused to shut the door, the people remained encouraged and no isolated. You move on a couple of chapters to chapter 8, which you hear this, and it just, it's just wonderful because the whole book of Nehemiah starts with the desolation and it ends up people worshipping the Lord. Nehemiah 8, 1 to 3. Now all the people gathered together. This is, this is because he didn't isolate himself. Now all the people gathered together as one man. In the open square that was in the front of the water gate and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses. Ezra, the priest, bring the word of God, which the Lord had commanded. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly. He brought the word of God before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from the morning until midday. Before the man and women and those who could understand and the ear, listen to this, 
and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They were all together. Isn't the enemy having a field day today? Isn't the enemy just having a field day today, people? As he's getting people to worship alone? Well, I'm not alone, I've got a call. John 14, 6, again, Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way, he's the only way that we'll be able to remain in truth. John 8, 31 and 32, then Jesus says, we've done this way last year, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And that truth shall make you free. I love that scripture because in a sense, often it's so misquoted because you, you see plaques everywhere in people's houses on it. The truth will make you free. <laughs> Non-believers quote that. You'll see that in everywhere. Self-help stuff quotes that. The truth will make you free. But they forget the, the verse before it. If you remain in my word... And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you remain in my word, you will know the truth. That truth, no a truth. Outside the word could be a truth about anything. If we start at the end of this verse and work our way to the start, it would read, you will not become free if you don't know truth. And you won't know truth unless you abide. Abide means to stick with, to continue. The Greek word is uh, meno. Well, it means to continue, to keep continue, continually. It's a strong verb. And the implications are, of not following it are serious. Leon Morris says, the effect of not abiding is that we will become joined. Would you hear this? We'll become joined with enemies of the Lord. Wow. How scary is that? So we think when we just take a step away to work it out in our own self, that somehow we'll have this relationship and somehow be able to maintain this walk. And what Leon Morris is rightly saying is, and if you look at Nehemiah, this is not just the case, is what will happen is you'll not just step away from the Lord, you'll start to commune and commute, you'll start to build associations and relationships with enemies of God. What if it was only Nehemiah that was in the temple with his enemy friend? I've witnessed this again, 20 years. When people don't remain, they in time unite with people who are not just backslidden or passive to God, but positively enemies to God. Seen it for years. You've just stepped aside and now you're, you're not just going it alone in your own way. You've actually now got an association in building relationships and actually uniting with people who are actually anti-God. And obviously they believe it. Just because they believed it didn't mean they were saved. Then those who believed it, just because they believed, it didn't mean they were saved. Jesus is saying proof of this is 
in the abiding. The proof of salvation is in the abiding. Know the confession. It's in the abiding in the word. The same people who said they believed, John MacArthur says, the same people who said they believed at that time were also amongst the same people who sought to kill Jesus. Again, before we're in Christ, we're all but the walking dead, as we know. We went through the Holy Ephesians, which is just finished, just incidentally. We're working on it, and Fraser, we've worked on it, and uh, it's all been just a bit edited, so we've got work to do, and then we just need to bring it together, the whole teaching, and I, I don't know how big it is. It's like 6,000, many? 60,000 60, words. So it's not going to be a small commentary, it's going to be way. But hundreds of you laughs in it, I know. I'm looking forward to it. Who knows where we'll go with that. Please pray about that. For God's guidance in that. Again, before we were in Christ, we were all but the walking dead, yeah? Dead in our sins and our trespasses. We thought we were living. But because we did not know him, we did not know truth. And therefore, we really were not living at all. Before you knew Christ, you thought you were living, didn't you? I did. But really, I was spiritually dead. No, really, I was spiritually dead. I was totally spiritually dead. Like most, I had an existence. Oh, and it seemed like living, but it was only carnal life I lived. A life, no, of one reborn. But of a sinner. John says in his epistle, didn't he, in First John, he says, uh, we were now born not of flesh and not of blood or not of man, but of God. Okay, we need to wind this up. Yeah. One of the greatest lies Satan tells us is, and what's worst of all is that the church preachers are now teaching us that Jesus is not the way, but he's our way. He's an option. There's many ways. Remember I talked about it a couple of weeks ago with the Pope standing with all the... I sent a photo of it. The Pope standing with the, the hammam, the Muslim hammam behind him, the priests and all different folk. And I said, the wee guy in the bike for fortune. Be as well. If Jesus is only our way, then the truth is only our truth. And then life is what? Life's what you make it. If Jesus is only our way, then the truth is our truth, then life is certainly what you make it. Life's what you make it. You hear it all the time, don't you? Life's what you make it. But what life's that? Sinclair Ferguson just puts it so simply. Uh, he says this, as Jesus nears his death, he says, Father, if it's possible for another way. And then he says this, this is, this, is, this is deep theology here. If there was another way, there would be another way. That's it. If there was another way, there would be another way. And then he adds, there is no other way then. And time and knowledge is not given us one. There's no other way. I am the way. Henderson says it's twofold. Jesus is the way from God to man 
and he is the way from man to God. I am the truth, again, twofold. He's both the one with all truth and he's a true living God. D. Carson says it this way and it has the exact same meaning. I am the true and living way. And then he also says, and I am also the way of truth and living life. Carson adds, Jesus is the only way to God because he is the truth of God. John 1.14, and the word became flesh. And it dwelt among us. And the word became flesh. God became life. God became flesh and dwelt among us. How then can you truly come to the Father by bypassing, plain words here, how can you truly come to the Father by bypassing the flesh of the Father? Who's Jesus? Of course, that's a plain word. He's God in the flesh. But he hammered a point home. Thomas Akempis, the 15th century Dutch theologian says this, Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. Without Christ, we cannot know God. And with him, we already do. Praise the Lord for his word this morning. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.